Well, for those of you that haven't been here, I started ministering last night and then again this morning on the subject of the fear of God. And some people think that that's inconsistent with teaching on the grace of God, but it's not. The fear of the Lord is a positive thing. It talks about Jesus feared the Lord. And He wasn't condemned or afraid or in terror. So this is talking about how we need to fear God. We need to put God first. We need to honor Him, esteem Him, value His opinion more than we value the opinion of anybody else. And that's what we were talking about. Then this morning, I took about four or five scriptures. There's many more. But I took a number of scriptures that talked about that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot truly come to a right conclusion. You cannot be a truly educated, informed person without, first of all, trusting, honoring, putting God first. Matter of fact, the scripture says in Psalms 14.1 and Psalms 53.1, both of those Psalms are identical. And it says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And we have a lot of people today who by world standards are considered very educated, very smart, the movers and shakers, all of this wisdom, and yet according to scripture, they're fools because they don't acknowledge the existence of God. And I believe that the Word of God is true, and I exalt that above anybody else's opinion. Amen? So, what I want to do tonight, I've talked about these things, and we could just continue to take Scripture after Scripture that says the same point over and over, but I want to illustrate this through the life of Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel tonight. I want to turn over there. And you know, uh, there's a number of times in the book of Daniel where it talks about the fear of the Lord came upon people and, the, and kings commanded the people to fear the God of Daniel. But the terminology, the fear of the Lord, isn't necessarily used in the book of Daniel. But if you just think a little bit, you can see that this is exactly what happened with Daniel and his three friends. And why God promoted them and blessed them is because... They exalted God more than anything else. They feared Him. They trusted Him. They honored Him. They were not afraid of men. And man, there are some powerful examples right here that I want to use tonight just to illustrate some of the things that I've already been talking about. And this needs to encourage us. Because again, we talk about our society and how that, you know, America is just, I mean, it is way far removed from where it was founded to be. If somehow or another our founding fathers could come back and see the way that America is today, they'd be heartbroken or mad or frustrated or oppressed or something, but they wouldn't be pleased with it. I guarantee you, it is in a mess. And we sometimes get to looking at the problems that we have and think, well, it's too far gone. Matter of fact, I remember one of the ladies in my office in the UK, we were talking about some of the things that happened in the UK and about how things were going. And uh, we were talking about uh, how do you change it around. And she says, well, it's just a sign of the end times. It said that these things would happen and it's going to happen and so we can't do anything about it. And she says, we just have to submit to it. And I said, you know what? It may be the end times. And it may come to pass, but it's not going to have me help it come to pass. 
I'm going to fight this until my last breath. And I said, if, it, if we go down, praise God, I'm going to go down fighting. I'm going to go down slugging. We are supposed to resist evil. We are supposed to resist ungodliness. And I guarantee you, as long as we're here, we're supposed to be doing our part to turn around this situation. So I say this, that there are some people that think that America is just too far gone to recover. And yet, I want to show you a system that makes our system look nearly perfect in comparison. Under Nebuchadnezzar, man, he was an absolute total dictatorship. The things that he did, we'll talk about some of this. This man made an image and made people bow down and worship his image as God. This man was an egomaniac. He did some terrible things, and yet he was absolutely converted and turned around. And he wrote a chapter in the Bible, the only non-Jew that wrote it. Nebuchadnezzar wrote the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel and wrote it to glorify God and to talk about his conversion and how he turned around and came to the Lord. And it was a totally ungodly system, and yet four people, four young men, who had a fear of God and refused to compromise, turned that entire nation around. And that was in a system that was a hundred times worse than ours. And so there's a lot of things we can learn from this, but one of the things, it ought to give us hope. You know, I really believe that if one person was to stand up and quit waffling, and just stand for the truth. One person could make a difference in this nation. I'm not going to mention names, but there are people who are leaders in the body of Christ right now that every one of us know about and that we watch them on television and we look at them as leaders and yet they put them on these talk shows and they ask them, are you saying that Jesus is the only way? And they waffle. Well, and they won't say what the Word says. Somebody needs to stand up and say, yes. He's the only way. And if you don't believe on Jesus, you go to hell. And yet people are afraid to say that. There's a guy that just recently was asked about Mormons. They were talking about Mitt Romney. And so what do you think about Mormons? You're a Christian. What about Mormons? And he said, oh, Christ Mormons are Christians. They're the same as Baptist or Methodist or whatever. I will say this. I believe there's people in the Mormon church that are Christians that are trapped there and don't know any different because they profess to be Christians. But if you get into Mormonism, it is not Christianity. They believe that their God, was, Jesus, was a man on a different planet and got exalted to being God because he did so well and they worship him. And every Mormon can become a god if you fulfill things and, and you get promoted to a god and you go populate another planet and you become the god over that planet. Their whole concept of god is different than Christianity. So I'm not saying that all Mormons are lost, but I'm saying that Mormonism is not a Christian religion. There are Christians that are sucked up into it and don't know what's going on. But you know what? This leader in the body of Christ wouldn't say that. He wouldn't sit there and say that. And we've got people that are afraid because there is a spirit of Antichrist in this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, I believe, and 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 says there are many Antichrists in the world. They are now at work. 
And I guarantee you there is a spirit of Antichrist. There isn't a spirit of anti-Buddha or anti-Mohammed. You don't ever hear anybody swear and say, oh, Mohammed. Because there's no power in that name. Nobody swears by that name because it doesn't mean anything. Nobody swears by Buddha because it doesn't mean anything. But the name of Jesus Christ is powerful. And the people who are anti-Christ will use the name of Jesus and swear and do things because it is motivated by a spirit. It's a demonic spirit. Now, that's not very popular either. There's a lot of people that criticize me for saying that. But again, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were all the children of wrath even as other, and the spirit of disobedience worked in us before we got born again. Talks about a spirit of disobedience. There is a demonic spirit. There are demons in this world, and people who are anti-Christ are motivated by a demonic spirit. There is a demon, there's a battle going on between the spirit of light and the spirit of darkness. And in America, there is a huge spirit of anti-Christ, anti-light, anti-good, anti-moral. It's a demonic spirit. And sad to say, even the leaders in the body of Christ are cowing to it. And when asked something, they won't say, no, Jesus is the only way. They won't say that you have to have faith in Jesus. They won't admit that there is a hell to lose and a heaven to gain. And there's people that won't say the truth. I'm saying all of this as introduction to say that in the book of Daniel, we see people who weren't afraid of men. They had a fear of God. And they stood their ground and put their life on their line. And in just a short period of time, they turned an entire nation. They turned the ruler They did things. They were willing to be thrown in the lion's den. They were willing to put their life on the line. And we don't have very many people who are willing to do that. We're afraid that if we say something, they're liable to take away our 501c3 exemption from us. Big deal. Paul didn't have a 501c3. People didn't get a tax deduction for giving to Paul, and he changed the world. He spent some time in jail. He was beaten, he was flogged, he, was, he had a lot of things happen, but he changed the world. Yes, the same thing would happen today if somebody would stand up in the fear of God and exalt God and put God above what men have to say. And I, for one, am going to do my best. And if it puts me in jail or puts me crossways with our culture, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Somebody says, well, you're building a big campus and you got all of this. What would happen to your ministry? You know, there's some things more important in my ministry. And brothers and sisters, I'm not confessing this. I'm praying it doesn't happen. But you know, it may take somebody. It may take somebody who stands up and speaks the truth, being put in jail or having something done to them before it wakes up the body of Christ and people decide that, hey, we're going to have to do something. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what? All I can do is control me. I can't control what happens in the world. And I'm just going to do what God told me to do. So anyway, you see that with with Daniel and his friends here. Many of you are familiar with this, so I'm just going to go through some of the highlights. But in the first chapter, uh, Nebuchadnezzar conquered the Israelites and he took them captive to uh, Babylon 
And he said this in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, the king spake unto, I can't pronounce that guy's name, but he's the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. You know, I think this is interesting that he figured, King Nebuchadnezzar figured that it took three years to assimilate somebody into their culture to teach them the language and to give them the things that they needed so that they could start being an advisor to the king. And you know, I didn't plan it this way, but we have a two-year Bible college with a third-year program for those that want to go out and start something. And you know what? This goes all the way back to the time of Nebuchadnezzar. I think that that's really good. Jesus spent three years training his disciples before he left them and uh, turned the kingdom over to them. So anyway, this was basically Nebuchadnezzar trying to take all of these cultures and bring the good that they had to offer into his kingdom, which was very smart on his part. He didn't just limit it to the Chaldeans, but he began to start benefiting from the Jews and from every nation that he had conquered. He took their wisdom and the things that they had learned and begin to bring it into his kingdom. And so basically what he was doing here, he was trying to indoctrinate them in his way of thinking so that he could access their knowledge and stuff and take advantage of them. You know, this is very similar to a culture that we find ourselves in where the culture is anti-God. He was going to teach them in all of the ways of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans did not believe in one God. They believed in multiple gods. They had pagan customs and they were being indoctrinated and taught all of this ungodliness. And yet Daniel and his three friends purposed in their heart that they were not going to sin. It mentions specifically the diet, but it's much more than the diet. As we go on and read some of these verses, they got their wisdom from God. They were drawing on God. They were in relationship with God and they were drawing on God's wisdom and because of it, they were ten times better than anybody else. That's not coincidental. It's because of their relationship with God. So my point is that even if our children are being raised in an ungodly system, did you know that they can counter that? If people would stand up and begin to put God first... We can take a lesson from Daniel and his friends here that they prospered in a totally ungodly system, in a system that was sent to brainwash them and to hinder them and indoctrinate them and get them into all of the paganism and embracing the multiple gods that the Chaldeans taught. They prospered in that situation. Did you know what? We can have young people today that prosper if they would just make a decision and stand up and stand their ground. Amen. We can do it. They did it. We can do it. So our situation, I'm not saying it's good, but you know what? It's not as bad as this. And if these people prospered, we can prosper. You can prosper. You can stand against this. You can... I tell you, if people would stand up for God, God will bless you. 
I could give you thousands and thousands of examples in my life. I'm not the perfect example, but I have stood against our culture time after time after time after time, and God has blessed me, just blessed me. Let me just share one or two little things with you here. But when I was in the Army, I got drafted, and I went into the Army, and long, long story. But I stood, and I witnessed, and one of the guys in our barracks in basic training had been a pimp in the world and uh, his dad was a southern baptist preacher i didn't know that but he was a southern baptist preacher's kid and he was a pimp and he was a very ungodly person he was a black man and our uh, barracks was divided about 50 percent white and 50 percent black and this was back in 69 the race riots and stuff were raging it was a really tense time and uh, there was a lot of conflict. And anyway, this guy was in a bunk next to me, and I just witnessed to him. And I talked to him about the Lord, told him that God loved him, that God could change his life. And you know what? It wasn't popular. This guy was the leader of 200 and something people. He became the trainee field first sergeant. And he had, he's the one that decided who'd clean the latrines who did whatever, and you know what? It wasn't popular for me to witness to this guy. But I witnessed to him, and I stood my ground, and I, I didn't condemn the guy, but I just told him about the Lord and witnessed to him. And did you know that this man, because of his background, he respected the fact that I stood up for what I believed. And when other people got on my case, he came to my defense. And we had a race riot where there was more blacks in my barrack than there were whites, and they blocked the doors, put blankets up over the, wall, over the windows, and they went through and began to drag the whites out one at a time and beat their heads on the concrete floor. And we didn't have carpet or anything. There was a concrete floor with a drain, and the blood flowed so much it clogged up the drain, and you could slosh through blood. In that thing, they sent every white person in our barracks to the infirmary except me. And I was down at the end of the row, and one, I wasn't a fighter, and plus I couldn't overcome 50 or 100 blacks that were against me anyway. So I was just laying there praying. <laughs> and when they got to me, that pimp, he was drunk. He reached over and grabbed me, and then he looked at me and recognized who I was. And just threw me back on the bed, fell on his bed, and it was over. And you know what? It was the fear of God because I had witnessed to him that saved my life. And I'm the only person that didn't get sent to the infirmary, the only white guy. And it was because I stood my ground and witnessed to this guy. I had the, 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 uh, the actual sergeant that made fun of me every time. And, it, and he called me preacher. And he had me stand in front of the troops. We had, you know, uh, physical training, but then we had classes every day. And he would have me stand up there and he, he would have people come up and talk about their prostitute that they went in that weekend and describe it in the most vivid detail and just say things or tell a dirty joke or do something. And he would have me stand there and he would have them stand next to me. And they'd do all of this and say all these things. And then he'd say, I just love to see you blush, preacher. And he says, you hate me, don't you? And I said, no, sir, I'm praying for you. 
And for eight weeks, he did that every day for eight weeks and mocked me. And did you know, because of it, I got to witness to every person in that 200 (laughs) deal. I had people coming to me on the slide. And they'd sneak over because they didn't want to be associated with me, but they'd sneak over at night when I was out and they'd say, hey, preacher, and they'd ask me something. I'd pray with them. I got to lead a bunch of them to the Lord. It was awesome. And I remember after we graduated from there, we were up at Fort Dix, New Jersey, and I I had been with a group of people, but then uh, I got, you know, it's a long story, but I got bumped back one week and I went to a different class and I had to go receive my paychecks, and it was uh, in November, and it was cold in New Jersey, and we didn't have field jackets yet, and so here we were in just our normal fatigues, and it was so cold that about 40 of us were in this little uh, wheel, I mean, in this little uh, basement thing with concrete around us, huddling, trying to stay warm, waiting on the pay office to open up, and there was about 40 of us in this 10 by 10 space, just crammed in together, trying to stay warm, and as we were down there, we waited about 30 minutes and they started talking and cussing and doing all of this stuff. And there was this one guy named David Posey who was just vile. He hated Christians and he was blaspheming God and saying terrible things. And I was listening to that and thinking, oh God, what can I do? Give me something to say. Give me an opportunity to talk to this guy. And about that time, right as I was praying that, he just stopped and he says, you know, this is no way for a good old Schofield carrying Baptist to talk. And he had actually been a part of a gospel singing group that sang with the Happy Goodmans and other people on the stage. And he was a part of a gospel singing group and yet he was blaspheming God and saying these things. And right as I was praying that, he says, that's no way for a good old Schofield carrying Baptist to talk. And I said, you got a Schofield Bible? And he said, yeah, do you have one? I said, yeah, he ought to read yours sometime. <laughs> and he looked at me and he says, what do you mean? I said, have you ever read the verse in Matthew chapter 12 that every idle word that man speak, they'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment for by your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned. And this guy, he was about 6'3 or 4. He was taller than I was. And boy, he got mad. And he started pushing his way and squeezing over there towards me. And right as he got up to me, I said, one other verse. Galatians 4, 16 says, Am I become your enemy because I told you the truth? <laughs> and he just stopped and looked at me. And then he turned his back and never said a word. And for the next 20 minutes... Nobody said a word. It was just (laughs) absolute silence. And it turned out that they put me into that group of people. And I had to stay with them for the next four weeks. And um, I'd walk into the barrack and people would be talking or doing whatever and they'd see me and they'd go, shh. And everybody would just get quiet. And for the next four weeks, not one person ever said a word to me. I'd go sit down at the at lunch, and I'd sit down next to some of the people in my group, and they'd all get up and leave. And I'd eat by myself. I never had a person talk to me. I never had a person stay with me. I'd walk into the barracks. They'd all leave. And I thought it was awesome, because I didn't have to listen to their doubt and unbelief and stuff like this. And anyway, that went on, and and um, when we would take a break, I'd go into this little 
library portion and everybody else would go over to the pornography and they'd look at all the pornography. I'd go into the kiddie section. Nobody ever went into the kiddie section and I'd open up my Bible and I'd be reading my New Testament. And I remember one day this guy, David Posey, the one who was blaspheming God in that well, in that well down there, he, he came walking around the corner and just bumped into me. And he looked at me and he said, Womack, you don't think I'm a Christian, do you? And I said, I don't know. But I said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be any evidence to convict you. I said, I've been praying for you. And this guy started crying and he says, did you know since that first day that you spoke to me, I haven't slept a single night? He says, I am a Christian and I just wasn't serving God. And he said, would you please pray for me? And and the bell rang and we had to go back to class. And that was the day that we left for our Christmas leave. And I said, look, when we get back from Christmas leave, I'm going to sit down and I'll start sharing the word with you and stuff. And he is the only person out of our whole class that didn't get shipped to Vietnam. While he was home on Christmas leave, he got different orders and never came back. And I never saw him again. And I always wondered what happened until it was 20-something years later. I was on a television program. It wasn't my program. I was being interviewed on somebody else's program. And he was walking through the living room. He was in another room and he heard my voice. And he came running out and he said, that's Andy Womack. (laughs) And it turns out he was a pastor of an Assembly of God church. He got his life turned around. And he heard I was coming to a church. And so he came and met me and told me, he says, man, that turned my life around. Totally got this guy right and seeking the Lord. So anyway, I could give you hundreds of stories like that, that if you would stand up and just exalt God and not compromise and stand for who you are, people will respect you for it. They'll persecute you for it, but who cares? The Bible says all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The only reason you won't be persecuted is if you're ungodly. If you're godly, you will be persecuted. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both headed in the same direction. (laughs) If you turn around and start standing for righteousness, and you don't have to condemn people, but just stand for the truth and speak the truth and don't compromise, I guarantee you, you are going to get some flack, but you'll see people's lives change. And that's what these guys did. Man, they stood and they said, we aren't going to eat this stuff. We refuse to compromise. Did you know that this could have meant death for them? Or at the very least, it could have excluded them from this elite group, have taken them out of a position of influence. And you know, today, most people would have just rationalized this and say, well, I've got to compromise to be able to influence the king and to have this opportunity. I've got to compromise and do this. I tell you, compromise is a language of the devil. Whatever you have to compromise to get or to keep, you're going to lose. Don't ever compromise. If you have to compromise to accomplish something godly, it's not godly. Do not compromise. Don't change who you are. If you're really trusting God, God can do things through you standing for the truth and not having to compromise. And there are people all of the time that think, but this puts me in a position where, man, I could influence people. And so you compromise and lose your integrity so that by the time you reach this position, you don't have any integrity to influence people. 
And people don't honor what you've done because you had to compromise to get there. That's not the fear of God. The fear of God is when you are going to put God first and if it costs you something, so be it. I'm not going to serve God if only if I know it's going to wind up being to my benefit. I'm going to serve God whether it looks like it's going to benefit me or not. That's the fear of God. That's trusting in God. That's putting God first. That's standing for the truth. Amen or oh me. So they wouldn't compromise. And as a result, they got favor with the person who was over them. And he wound up granting their request. They stood their ground. And it says down here in the first chapter, it says... um, In verse 18, now at the end of the days that the king had said he would bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They renamed them. And there was none like them. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom... And understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the astrologers that were in all his realm. The people who compromised and drank the Kool-Aid and did the things that they commanded them to do, they weren't as sharp as the people who had convictions and stood. And if you back up in just a few verses, it says... um, In verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Knowledge comes from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And I'm telling you, you will be promoted if you don't compromise and if you put God first. And if you will stand for what the Word of God reveals and stand for these things, God will promote you. God will grant you favor. I think it's Psalms chapter 76 says promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west or from the south, but it's God that puts up one and sets down another. If you will stand for the truth, God will promote you. That's not the reason you do it. You do it regardless of what the outcome is. But I'm saying that God is looking throughout the entire earth, looking to show himself strong in behalf of people who are perfect in his sight. That doesn't mean that you're sinless or that you don't have any problems. It means people whose heart is completely his, I think is the way the NIV translates that, out of 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And it says that he is looking for people like this. God is looking for somebody who will just stand for righteousness. The world needs somebody to see a righteous standard. How are people going to ever recognize that what we're doing is wrong if they never see anybody who will stand for truth? If everybody compromises, who's going to ever change anything? Lord is looking for people that He can show Himself strong in their behalf. And so they did and God gave them wisdom and learning and because God was their source... And because they didn't compromise, they had a fear of God. They were ten times better than anybody else. I tell you, if you won't compromise, God will make you ten times better than anybody else in your company. God will give you favor. Things will work. But you're going to have to stand your ground. If you compromise, compromise is a language of the devil. You are not going to be promoted. 
This doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God's against you. It's just like in my, uh, in my ministry, we have 220 something employees. I'm not against a one of them. I'm a gracious guy. I treat people nice. But when it comes to promote people, if, if a department head leaves and we have to replace somebody, I'm going to look for the person who's diligent, for the person who's a good worker. And I'm going to promote people that have a work ethic and that do the right thing. I'm not going to take a lazy person or a person who lies and steals and promote them because I'd be promoting those ungodly concepts. God's not against anybody. But you know what? He's not going to promote and give you favor and put you in a position of leadership if you're going to lead people in a compromising way. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect to have the grace of God. Grace is all about it's independent of your performance. But your performance is important. If you want to have the influence and accomplish what God wants you to do, you need to take a stand and start doing something. And that's what they did. And because of it, God promoted them and made them leaders in this nation. These were people who were slaves. They were conquered people. They were captives. They were taken out of their country and taken to a foreign country. They were slaves. They were made eunuchs. They never got married. They never had a family. You could sit there and gripe and complain and talk about this and say it's unfair. Or you could sit there and and stand for God. And take your position and God can promote you. And so in the second chapter, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream. And he called all of his wise men together and wanted them to interpret the dream. And they said, sure, tell us what it was and we'll give you the interpretation. And he says, I can't remember what it was, but I know it was an important dream. I know that this was from God. So you tell me what the dream was and then give me the interpretation. And these wise men said... There is no king in the world that would ask such a thing from his uh, magicians and astrologers. Says, you got to tell us the dream and then we'll interpret it. And he says, you're stalling for time. You know that this thing will leave me. And he says, if you don't tell me the interpretation right now, I'm going to kill all of you. And they couldn't tell him the interpretation because they didn't even know what the dream was. So he sent out an order to kill all of the wise men in Babylon. That'll give you an indication of the type of person that Nebuchadnezzar was. He was going to kill them because they couldn't tell him what his dream was. And so when the person that was executing this order came to Daniel, Daniel said, why is this such a hasty order? Why would he do such a thing? And then he told him about this dream. And he says, you tell him that there is a God who interprets dream and says, I'll come interpret his dream to him. And says, don't kill the people. Give me until tomorrow and I'll interpret this dream. And then he told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pray for him and believe God that God would give him revelation. He didn't know what he was going to do. He just had confidence that God was going to do something. And he stood up and boldly made a proclamation without any guarantee that anything was going to happen. Man, that's awesome. These people, you know, when you get the fear of God, when God is more important to you than people, When you truly know God, you do things different than other people. This is different than the way most people would act. Most people would say, who would do such a thing? Well, really, if you stop and think about it, what's he got to lose? He was going to die anyway. Just be bold and tell him, I've got the answer. Because what's going to happen? If you didn't come up with anything, you're going to be dying. I mean, there's not a difference between dead one or dead two. You're just dead, amen. 
This is really a smart thing to do. It's really smart for us to stand up and believe God. And why don't we stand up and act like Christians and be bold? And if somebody's going to feel weird, it ought to be the unbeliever that feels weird, not the person who has a relationship with God. There's nothing. Why in the world are we so afraid to stand up and say, yes, I believe that God created this and that we didn't come from ooze or slime? Why in the world would you be afraid to say something like that? Why would you be afraid to stand for righteousness and morality and say, yes, God made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve? Amen. There's a right and a wrong way to be. You don't have to condemn people. You can love them. But why wouldn't we stand up for the truth? There's a spirit of Antichrist. And most of us have a fear of the rejection and the criticism that would come our way more than we have a fear of God. These people were strong. So anyway, Daniel says, give me time. And so as he slept that night, you know, this is another great testimony. Daniel went to sleep. Most of you, if you were going to be killed tomorrow and you had all of this happening and you had to come up with what? You had to tell the king what his dream was and then interpret it. Most people wouldn't be sleeping that night. Their sleep would go from them. They would be a little bit worried. Daniel went to sleep. He had faith in God. And while he was asleep, God gave him the dream and told him what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was. So the next day he went... And he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he made a point of saying before he started, he says, it's not in me, O king. I'm not the one doing this, but there is a God in heaven and God in heaven is showing you what he's going to do. And Nebuchadnezzar had this dream that there was this huge statue whose head was gold, who his chest and arms were silver and his loins were brass, his feet were iron and there was a... uh, rock that was hewn without hands that came out and it hit the feet that were part clay and part iron and it broke and it turned to powder and it went throughout the whole earth and it was symbolic of the four kingdoms. The Babylonian kingdom was the head and then there was going to be the Grecian empire and then the Medes, or excuse me, the Medan Persians and then the Grecians and then the Romans and it's all been fulfilled and it's interpreted over in Daniel chapter 7 in greater detail And uh, anyway, it was a prophecy about what was going to happen in the next 100 to 200 years. And Daniel interpreted it. And when Nebuchadnezzar heard this interpretation, of course, immediately he recognized the dream. He knew this was true. And he told everybody, he says, this is the most high God. This is the true God. That could, only he could do something like this. And he promoted Daniel because Daniel didn't compromise. Daniel was promoted to be the head of all of the astrologers, the wise men, the magicians in all of the kingdom of Babylon. And he asked for his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they made them uh, officers and leaders. And so these four Hebrew children who were slaves and should have had nothing going for them because they had a fear of God and they stood for God. God not only saved their life, but promoted them, and they began to exercise influence in the kingdom. And then in the third chapter of the book of Daniel, this same king, Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had seen this display of God's power, he was not a true believer yet. He hadn't really converted. And so he took the dream about this image... And he made an image, a huge image. It gives the dimensions of it. And it was huge. It would have been taller than this ceiling. 
a huge image, all of gold. And it was an image of himself. Guy had an ego problem. And he made this huge image and then he proclaimed that everybody had to bow down and worship this image. And whenever the musicians played, whenever they heard this music, wherever they were, they had to fall down and worship the image. And if they didn't do it, they'd be thrown into a burning furnace and killed. That's in the third chapter. And look what happened. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in um, Daniel chapter 3, and in verse... Let's start reading in verse um, 9. It says, They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, suck, harp, sackbuck, or however you pronounce that, psalmstry, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews which, whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. This is because of the previous instance I told about. And Daniel got promoted and he brought his three friends with him. And he says, you have promoted them over the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, and they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbuck, uh, whatever, all these things that I have made, and if you fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, but if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Boy, what an arrogant, pompous guy, thinking that who, what God is as powerful as I am? Nebuchadnezzar ruled the known world. You know, the hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the world. This man was the most powerful, influential man on the face of the earth. He had conquered any person that he wanted to. He was the head of the food chain, and he thought that there wasn't any God who was comparable to him. That's amazing. We got some of those people running for office today. And look at what they said in verse 16. Daniel 3, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what the word careful means in the Hebrew? It means necessary. Matter of fact, the Amplified says, it's not necessary for us to answer you in this. I think it's the NIV that says, we don't need to give you an answer. Here they are. They're about to be killed. He said, you either bow down and worship this image or you're dead. And they basically said, we don't have to give you an answer. It's not necessary for us to respond to you. (laughs) 
Man, that's just pretty awesome. These guys feared God. They did not fear Nebuchadnezzar. Today, we're afraid to stand up and say something because somebody might roll their eyes or they're afraid that after we walk away, they might talk about us at the water cooler and say, did you hear about this guy? And that's enough to intimidate most people today. Somebody might not sit next to you. Somebody might not be your friend. You might not be invited to one of the family get-togethers. And that's enough to make most people cow and compromise. Here they were. What did you say, Pastor Bob, about Facebook? (laughs) Yeah. They wouldn't be your friend on Facebook. I don't know what that means, but anyway. He's a techie here down here. But we're afraid somebody will Twitter us or write a blog about us. I've got hundreds of blogs written about me. One of them says I'm the most dangerous man in America. But we're just afraid somebody might do something. Man, that's minor. It's trivial. These guys were facing death. They said, we don't have to answer you. We aren't careful. Man, I like that. They had a fear of God. Did you know, what do you do to a person that you can't intimidate? You know, I remember when I was in the ninth grade, there was this guy, I won't call his name because he might have relatives here. Some of you might know his name. But I remember in the ninth grade, he was a bully. He would go around and hit people and punch people and do things. And I wasn't a fighter at all. But I just saw him picking on people all of the time. And I remember one day I just stood up to him and I said, quit treating them that way. And he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, look, you probably beat me up, but you're going to have to fight me first. And I said, it's wrong what you're doing. And I stood up to this guy and I said, you can go ahead and beat me up. But I said, I'm not going to sit there and watch you treat this guy this way. And did you know that that guy respected me and actually became my friend And when other people gave me a hard time, he would step in and defend me. (laughs) Bullies really are mostly blow and no go and they want to intimidate. And if they find somebody that stands up to them, did you know they respect that? And we're just afraid to stand up and do these things. Man, they stood up and they said, we don't have to answer you in this. It's not necessary. And look at this in verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I've had people come to me and say, well, what is this? Was this a statement of unbelief? Were they wavering? You know, here's the way I read this. They said, look, God is able to deliver it. God's bigger than you. And God's able to deliver us. And they said, he will deliver us. In other words, I believe they knew that God was going to supernaturally deliver them. But then they turn around and says, but if he didn't, we still aren't going to serve you. That's not a statement of unbelief. It's not a fear. It's just saying, look, I know it's God's will for me to be well. And so I'm standing and I'm standing against the devil. But you know what? If I never saw my healing come to pass, I'm still going to serve God with my whole heart. If it works out to my advantage or if it doesn't work out to my advantage, I'm going to stand and believe what God says. They're saying, even if you put us in there and if God didn't deliver us, 
I still wouldn't serve you. You aren't worth bowing down to. Man, I like that attitude. We need some Daniels today that would, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that would stand up and say, I'm not going to bow to the unbelief of this world. I'm not going to sit there and say that murdering babies is okay and that homosexuality is the way God made you and that this is right and this is right when it's not. You don't have to condemn people. You don't have to be mean. There have been religious people in the past that condemn others and treat them like dirt. That's not the way Jesus wants us to treat people. You can love the person but not love what they do, but you've got to take a stand and say, this is right and this is wrong. You know, next year, this time, next year, we're coming out with a new book entitled Christian Philosophy, and it's going to be different than any of my other books. It's going to be a reference book. It's going to be hundreds of pages. It's going to have charts and graphs and statistics in it and all kinds of things. And one of the things is on homosexuality. We're going to be talking about how a Christian should view this, and we're going to deal with, did God make you this way? And one of the things that we're putting in this book is the gay and lesbians on website statistics. And according to their own website, in an order, in an effort to get you to have pity on them, they put in statistics that the average homosexual, there is 300 times as much suicide among homosexuals as any other class of people. 300 times. The average homosexual dies 21 years before a heterosexual counterpart. And yet, did you know with cigarettes, it takes seven years off of your life. The average person dies seven years premature with cigarettes. And we put a warning on the cigarette thing about this could be hazardous to your health. If we weren't hypocrites and if we weren't afraid of the spirit of Antichrist and being politically correct... If you were just going to look at this from a totally secular standpoint and look at the stats, homosexuality takes 21 years off of your life. We ought to put a warning across your forehead. It says, hey, this is hazardous to your health. But that wouldn't be politically correct. Did you know spousal abuse among lesbians is over 300 something times as much as heterosexual couples. And on and on and on and on and on you could go. And we're going to put out this book and we're going to say all of these kind of things in this book and give the stats from the own gay and lesbian website. Quote them. Amen. And some people say, well, you're against homosexuals. I am not. I'm for you. I'm trying to help you. I'm saying it's destroying your life. It's bad. I love you. If you've been lied to and if you think that somehow or another God made you that way, I want to tell you the truth to help get you delivered from this and save you from something that's going to cut 21 years off of your life, that's going to cause you to commit suicide, that's going to expose you to sexually transmitted diseases, that's going to hurt people. Man, if you truly love people, you ought to tell them the truth. It's hypocritical to to not tell a person the truth. And right now, we've got a whole group of gay and lesbians in Woodland Park that are trying to block us moving up there and building our thing because they're against us. And you know what? There's consequences of taking a stand and saying something is right and something is wrong. And it probably would have been easier. We might have got our permits four or five months ago if I hadn't have said some of the things that I've said. 
But you know what? It's the truth. And if I have to put up with something, I'll still do it. So my point is that I believe that that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. They weren't saying, well, we aren't sure if God's going to deliver us or not, because they said He will deliver us. But I believe they were just saying, look, I don't care if He did deliver us. We will not serve you. We will not bow down to an image of gold and worship it like it's God. We are not going to sit here and do this. And they basically just defied the king. And look at these passages of scriptures. In verse 19, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Visage means his face. His face, man, it got contorted. His blood rushed to his head. His juggler veins stood out because somebody dared defy the king. He was incensed and he commanded that they heat the furnace seven times hotter. How hot does a fire have to be to kill a person? This was totally illogical. There was no benefit to this whatsoever. Matter of fact, he had to have three of his strongest men in his army, his greatest warriors. He commanded them to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound into the fire. And it cost them their life. The fire was so hot, it killed the strongest man in his army because of his own anger and rage and selfishness. He was willing to sacrifice his greatest soldiers just to satisfy his ego, to punish somebody who had done him wrong. And he didn't have to heat the fire seven times hotter, but man, this just indicates how his rage was. And so they bound them, they threw them into the fire. And it says in verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what the things that the world tries to bind you with, if you'll just stand your ground, God may not deliver you from the fire, but he'll deliver you in the midst of the fire. And those things that bound you will burn off and you'll be loosed and it will make the people that have stood against you astonished. Everybody wants to see the power of God in their life, but they do everything they can to keep from getting into a position where the power of God can be manifest in your life. They want to take the easy way out. They don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. They're afraid to say something. They just compromise. They give in to the spirit of Antichrist. They're afraid of what people have to say. Man, this wouldn't have been near the deliverance if somehow or another they just, you know, nobody had noticed them not bowing down and God protected them. God didn't keep them from the fire, but when they stood and started receiving the flack and the persecution and they tried to kill them, God supernaturally delivered them. I tell you what, you have to get this attitude just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that, you know what, I believe God is going to protect me and deliver me. I believe my ministry is going to... Flourish. I believe we are going to accomplish what God told me to do. 
But you know what? I'm not going to compromise to get there. I was telling Larry. Larry's the one that runs all of our project up in Woodland Park. And when the city is trying to force us to do things and basically asking us to bribe them. And if you'll pay this, we'll grease the wheels and you can get your permit. And stuff, I told him, I said, don't compromise. Let's not do it. I said, let's stand. Let's do what's right. And I don't care how much flack they give us. And I don't care if it takes longer. I'm not going to sit there and play their games. We don't have to do this kind of stuff. You know, most people just cave in and, well, let's do whatever it takes to get there. To me, the journey is more important than the destination. And if I lose my integrity along the way, it's not worth getting to the right place. There's things that's worth fighting over. There's things that it's worth standing for. You need to have a fear of God. You need to get to where you trust God and you are worried about what God, not worry is probably not the right word, but you're concerned about what God has to say more than you are what people have to say about you. And you're going to please God and not be a man pleaser. Amen or oh me. I know God sent me to preach to all of the people that didn't show up here tonight. This is, I'm, all of you know somebody that needs to hear this. None of you, but somebody you know needs to hear this. I would suspect that every one of us need to get strong and bold and just stand for what God called us to do. And it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake, and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. You know, their ropes were burnt off. Why didn't they just run out of the fiery furnace? There's no need to. They were perfectly content in there. Plus, they were visiting with somebody that was like the Son of Man. We don't know if that was Jesus or an angel, but they were in the presence of God in the midst of a fire. Man, they were... They were having a great time in this impossible place. Most of us, the moment God releases our, our bonds that have held us in some place we don't want to be, we're gone. Nobody would have to call us out. We'd have been out the second we could have gotten out. But they were just in there walking around with Jesus or an angel. That's pretty awesome. Paul and Silas were in the prison singing. Some people would sing because they know this is power and this is going to cause an earthquake to come and it's going to break our bands and loose us. And some people will praise God through gritted teeth because they know it's going to get them out of their problem. But when the earthquake came and Paul and Silas were set free, they didn't leave. They just kept praising God. How many people praise God to get free, but then if freedom comes, you quit praising God because you were just using it as a tool to manipulate God and get Him to do what you wanted to do. But Paul and Silas, here's a radical thought. They praised God in prison because you know what? They actually loved God. And they didn't do it to get something. They did it just because they loved God. And when they got free, they just kept praising God. Isn't that awesome? That's rare as hen's teeth. That's a good way to be. And they came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They didn't even smell like smoke. 
Isn't that powerful? Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. All that happened because four boys decided that they weren't going to compromise. They weren't going to eat the king's meat. They weren't going to do uh, adopt the pagan practices and believe all of this stuff. They got their instruction from God and they stood their ground. They had a fear of God more than the fear of man. And because of that, the mightiest king on the face of the earth was turned around. Now, he wasn't completely converted because in the next chapter... He goes ahead and a prop, he had another dream and Daniel came and interpreted this dream and said, King, this dream is about you. You're like this huge tree that has grown so huge it fills the whole earth. But because of your pride and arrogance, God is going to cut you down to the ground. And he says, but there was a metal band around the stalk of the tree. And what this means is that God is going to keep your kingdom and preserve it for you. But you're going to go out and for seven years, you're going to be like an animal and eat grass and your hair is going to grow as long as feathers and your fingernails are going to be like claws and you're going to be an animal until you recognize God is the one who gave you your kingdom and you quit operating in this arrogancy. And Nebuchadnezzar is the one that wrote this chapter. You can see in the fourth chapter, verse one, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people. Nebuchadnezzar wrote this and Daniel put it in his book. Nebuchadnezzar wrote this and sure enough, Daniel told him, he says, this is going to happen, but if you'll humble yourself, you can lengthen your tranquility. God will defer the judgment. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't humble himself. You know, I've read some secular accounts. I mean, this isn't Bible type things, but I've read accounts of this in uh, secular accounts and Nebuchadnezzar's wife responded to this dream and had fear come upon her and started planning for this to happen. And when, Neb- when these things happened to Nebuchadnezzar, his wife, the queen, held the kingdom together for seven years and refused to allow anybody to take over believing the prophecy of Daniel would come to pass. And it did. She responded to this. And so anyway, one day Dan, Nebuchadnezzar was walking in his garden and he was watching, looking at the hanging gardens of Babylon and complimenting himself on how awesome he was and how great his kingdom was. And God, nobody's as great as I am. And as he was doing this, a voice came from heaven and says, it is done. The kingdom is severed from you and you will be like an animal for seven years. And he lost his mind. And for seven years, this man, who is the mightiest man on the face of the earth, ate grass like an ox and threw his clothes off. And his hair became as long as feathers. And he had fingernails like claws. And he was an animal for seven years, absolutely out of his mind. And at the end of seven years, God restored his kingdom to him, gave him his mind back. All of his counselors came to him. He got the kingdom back. He was restored back to his previous power. And look at what Nebuchadnezzar said in the end of the 
fourth chapter. In verse uh, 36, it says, At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. God not only gave him back the kingdom that he had, but added to him because of the grace and the mercy of God. And in verse 37, this has to be one of the greatest verses in the Bible. I love this. It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. What an understatement. All of this came to pass because of Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing godly, fearing God. They stood, they influenced him, and it took a number of things, but eventually Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and totally converted and served the same God that you and I serve, wrote a chapter in the Bible and professed that those who walk in pride, God is able to abase. Because four people stood their ground and put the fear of God above anything else. It's not any different for us today, brothers and sisters. If there were four people in this auditorium that would stand your ground and not do it out of meanness. We're under a covenant where Jesus, Jesus is a great example. Man, Jesus stood His ground. He told people that you're sinners He told them to repent, but he showed love to them. He didn't condemn people. But he made a cat of nine tails. He drove the money changers out of the temple. He did not compromise. There is a place for anger and wrath. If you can come back tomorrow, I'm going to use the verse that says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And we're going to talk about that. But Jesus was our example, and yet He showed love. He went in and ate with publicans and sinners and prostitutes, people that the religious people rejected. I'm not saying that we hate homosexuals or hate people, but you love them. You love them so much you're going to tell them the truth, that this is not the right way. God didn't make you this way. This is bad for you. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your emotions. It's bad for society. The homosexual webpage even says that the average homosexual has over 250 partners in one lifetime. And yet they present themselves as we're no different than a heterosexual couple. We're moral people. It's a lie. The average, that's average. And many of them that they interviewed had over 500 to 1,000 sexual partners in one lifetime. It is a ruse that this is a normal deal and that they could raise children and it's just no different. Instead of a man and a woman, it's two women or two men. It's a lie. It's damaging. It's hurtful to people. And we need to tell people the truth. Amen? And if we had four people that would stand up and just start speaking the truth in love, not condemning, but just telling people the truth and standing for righteousness... You might go through some things. You might get thrown into a fiery furnace. But when you come through it without the smell of smoke on you, people will begin to start paying attention.
people would start saying, man, you know what? There's truth to what you're saying. God could use that. We could do that. If this could happen in an ungodly situation, it could happen today. And if you had time, you'd go over to the 6th chapter. And in the 6th chapter, Daniel had become so influential. This is under another king, after Nebuchadnezzar had already lost his kingdom and was dead. Under another king, under Darius or Darius, he came in and he was a proud man and he, his counselors came to him and they, found, they said, if we are going to find anything to accuse Daniel over, we're going to have to do it concerning his relationship with God because he's faultless. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. He was a godly man. And they said, if we're going to trip him up, we're going to have to do it over his faith in God. And so they tricked Darius into making a command, a law, that no man could pray to any god or ask a petition of anybody except Darius for 30 days. And his pride made him go ahead and approve that law. And then as soon as they got it stamped, they went to look at Daniel and see if he was going to continue to open up his windows and pray to God every day the same way that he had been doing. They designed that law just to trap him. Did you know Daniel could have thought, well, I'll go ahead and pray, but I'll just leave my windows closed so that, you know, I won't suffer. And he could have rationalized that and said, I'm so influential. I have outlasted Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the most influential person outside of Darius. And and it's important that I continue my thing. And he could have rationalized. That's what a lot of people would have done today. But Daniel didn't change one thing. He opened his windows at noon and prayed exactly the way that he had done before. And because of it, Darius had to throw him in the lion's den. That was the decree. And he realized by that time that he had been mocked and made a fool of by his people who were envious of Daniel, but he couldn't change the law. It was the law. So he threw Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't sleep all night long praying for Daniel and believing that God would somehow or another spare him. And in the morning he went... And with a little weak voice, he says, Oh, Daniel, is the God whom you serve continually able to deliver you? And this voice came out and said, He is able, O king. The Lord has sent his angel and has shut the mouth of the lions. And Daniel was using one of the lions as a pillow. <laughs> laying down. And Darius was so excited, he pulled Daniel up out of the lion's den and threw the people that accused him in. And the lions were so hungry that they ate them and broke them into pieces before their body ever hit the ground. And Daniel prospered. And Daniel went through three kings altogether and lasted for over 50 years of ministry and influenced three of the mightiest nations, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks. Three of the mightiest nations that have ever ruled on the face of the earth were influenced by this man. A man who was a slave, was made a eunuch, carried into a foreign land, but he wouldn't compromise, he wouldn't bend, he wouldn't bow, he wouldn't budge, and he wouldn't burn. And because of that, man, here we are thousands of years talking about that. Who knows how history was changed? Did you know that Darius is the one that gave the order? to send back and build Jerusalem and, and return the people because of the influence of God on his life and on and on you could go. 
when the three or the wise men, it doesn't say three, but when the wise men came to worship Jesus, people wonder how did that happen? Because Daniel was the king of all of the magicians. He was the elder. He was the elder statement, statesman. His fame had gone on for hundreds of years. And in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, he pinpointed the exact time that the Messiah would come, down to the exact year. And all of these Babylonian uh, astrologers knew the prophecy of Daniel. They were looking for something that would signal where the Messiah was. And when this star arose, you know what? Everybody, nobody else saw the star. Nobody else followed it. What was going on? It wasn't so bright the way that you see it. It was just a little different. These were people who studied the stars and it might not have even appeared different to the normal eye, but because they already had the prophecy of Daniel and were looking for it, they knew that this was the sign of the Messiah and they followed it to Jesus. Daniel is the one that influenced all of that. It was because of his ministry. Daniel changed the world because somebody had a fear of God and they wouldn't compromise. And brothers and sisters, we are in a similar situation in the sense that we're in a declining uh, society where Christianity is mocked. It's the only thing in our society that is politically correct to mock and stand against. You can't do it to a Muslim, to a Buddhist, to a minority, to any other group, but a Christian is fair game. And we are in a hostile environment. But you know what? If God had people that would stand up and not compromise and let the fear of God rule in their life and be willing to say that, you know what? Even if I don't get delivered, if I get killed for my faith in the Lord, if I get fired from my job, if I get kicked out of this family, if nobody's going to love me, if people don't if people leave when I walk in and sit down and they get up and leave because I'm sitting down, I'm going to go ahead and honor God. If somebody will do that, God would bless them. God would exalt that person today the same as He did in the book of Daniel. God will still use people today. It's not, you know, where is the God of Daniel? It's where is the Daniels of God? Where is somebody that will stand up and put the fear of God first in their life? And I'm just sharing these things with you, saying that praise God, I hope that all of you say, I want to be one of those. I'll take the Word of God and I'll stand for it, even if it costs me my life, if it costs me my job, if it costs me somebody's opinion or whatever. And if you're willing to do that, and if you'll just make a stand for righteousness and exalt God, the fear of God... We'll promote you. It will bless you. And it will make you a blessing to other people. That's powerful. We've seen God do it before. He's no respecter of persons. It has happened over and over and over and over again. I remember in Scotland I was there and I read a statement by Mary, Queen of Scots. She, actually, she was such an ungodly person, she played a game that was similar to cricket. But it used human heads as the ball. And she wouldn't use an old head. She always, every time she played, she wanted to have a fresh head and they would go out and get a peasant and behead them so she could play this game with fresh heads. 
And Mary, Queen of Scots, this ungodly woman, said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than the standing armies of England. John Knox terrified that woman because she knew that God was on his side. That happened in relatively recent history and on and on and on you could go. It's not just isolated to something that happened 3,000 years ago. This will work today. It'll take place today. If somebody will stand up and speak the truth, God will promote you. God's got a way of getting you out there. Amen? Praise God. Any volunteers? We need to say with Isaiah, Lord, look no further. Here am I. Send me. But you know what? It takes some time. They did, these things didn't happen to Daniel and his three friends just overnight. It wasn't a decision that they made in a service one night. And then the next week they saw it come to pass. It takes time. It takes years for you to be tempered and get to a place to where you can handle the criticism and the rejection and the things that will come your way. But you have to start the process. You have to make that commitment. I want to encourage you tonight to say, Father, I'm making this commitment that I'm going to put the fear of God. I'm going to honor you more than I honor people in your family, in your extended family, in your business, in your church, in your society. You're going to put God ahead. You're going to fear Him more than you fear men. And if you'll do that, I can guarantee you God is going to start something supernatural because His eyes are looking throughout the whole earth looking for people that He can show Himself strong in their behalf. The Spirit of the Lord is here tonight looking and saying, is there anybody who will receive this and stand up and do it? God is here looking. He's walking up and down the aisles tonight. He's looking at your heart to see how you're responding whether you'll just blow this off and say, man, this is too much for me. I don't want that kind of commitment. I don't want this kind of relationship. God's looking for people here. Praise the Lord. Father, we just say, look no further. Here we are, send us. Father, we make a commitment right now. We receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our...